All right, so we're uh, fellowshipping, fellowship of the, of the king. That's where we are. Um, and that's all about being and making disciples of Jesus. That's what we're about, being and making disciples of Christ. So we're taking on that role as apprentices of Jesus to become more like him. That is our goal. That's our desire. So what we've been uh, re- trying to reorient our thinking from 21st century Westerners to saying, what would this stuff have looked like to a first century Jewish person? Um, how would they have understand what Jesus was teaching when he taught about discipleship? And so when he set up the church as he started it up and he set it to work together to help one another become more like Jesus. That was the function of the early church. It's the function of today's church. That's why we get together. That's our primary goal when we come together so that we can become more like Jesus. So if you come with another desire, then you need to know that it is our desire, our point, and our purpose. That's what we're focused on. So if it doesn't feel like something you want or somewhere else does this in a different way. Our focus is so that we become more like Jesus. That's what we're shooting for. So it takes some reorienting for for us Westerners because that's just how we've grown up. We're so individualistic. How do we understand the communal aspects of commitment? Everything for us is about me, just mine. And there is not a sense that there is a we. It's, uh, It's not an us. It's always me. And this has tried to be a, a focus of this series that we've been going through. This is essentially um, the birthplace of Into One. This is what we've been about since the very beginning. So um, consider this uh, the spiritual concept, all right? The baptism of the Spirit. One of those things that uh, immediately causes a reaction to, you know, sort of saying, well, what do you mean by the baptism of the Spirit? Because people have heard that in different ways and it seems like a very, very personal thing. It's very much, very much me and God, God baptizing me in his spirit. But not if we look at it the same way that Paul was teaching to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12. He said, for we are all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink, baptized into one body, baptized into the body, baptized to form one body. When the Spirit comes upon you, the directional flow immediately is to plunge us into the body of Christ, saying, wherever we go from here on in, we're going to do it together. This is all about partnership, baby. The Holy Spirit, you and me, us. That's the plan. So the challenge is ongoing, and we're saying, let's go beyond just showing up. I really want to be family. I'm I'm all in. Time, treasure, talent, all of it, I'm in. You can count on me. And to do that, we really need to push back against the unfortunate statistics of the church in North America. So for instance, um, you've heard of the 80-20 rule. I'm sure you've heard of this. And it looks or sounds something like this, that 20% of church congregations do 80% of the work. Uh, About 20% of church congregations are involved in about 80% of the ministries. About 20% of church congregations do 80% of the volunteering. About 20% of church congregations give about 80% of the finances. About 20% of church congregations get involved in small groups. 
about 20% blah, 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 and it goes on and on, and that's the way it sounds. And this is the truth for North America. These are not necessarily all true for us at Into One, which is absolutely fantastic. But we do need to be vigilant, and we do need to be aware, and we need to consciously be about pushing back against those ever-encroaching cultural norms. This is just the way we do things. This is just the way we are. And that consumer mentality that comes in that helps us to decide everything that we do, everywhere that we go, that consumer mentality just can't come to church. I show up, you know, and let's be honest, Graham, frankly, I'm doing you a favor by arriving whatever time it is that I arrive at. You should just be happy I'm here at all. Now that I'm here, I'll stay if you entertain me or, or if you make me feel good enough that I want to come back next week. In that common scenario, we have made ourselves God. We have made ourselves the object of devotion and deference. We don't say it that way, but that's what's happening. That's the struggle that's inside us. That's the cultural norms encroaching on us. So we use that consumer mind to analyze whether or not that music was really what I wanted to hear today. And frankly, there are better songs and there are classic songs. There are, there are songs that just mean more to me. There are songs that would help me more. Frankly, I hope they try a little harder next time to engage me, to connect to me, to help me to feel the way I want to feel, to play what I like to hear. Now, about that message, well, let's be honest. <laughs> that was not his best game today, was it? That wasn't really a message that I wanted to hear. It didn't really seem to touch me today. I wonder what he did wrong. I'm not sure that this church is meeting all of my needs. Yes, yes, I pick and choose what I participated in, and I consciously hold back from others and from God, but you know what? I just wasn't overwhelmed in waves of liquid love, and so maybe there's another church out there that knows how to get me to God better. Now, if you've ever had the mentality of looking around and asking the people around you, how are you really here to help and serve me today? If you're, if you're going to do that, if that's the way you are, you're going to kill the spirit of unity that's within you, and, and you're going to begin to deaden that spirit in others around you as well. And here's the thing. You can say, um, you don't use those words, but in the back of our minds, we were thinking, what, what am I getting out of this? And last week, we talked about growth. And this week, we want to take it in a new direction, okay? So the direction is not just about personal growth. And I, here's what's challenging with that. There are, there are some messages when we deal with a passage of Scripture, and it's very clear on something that we should do, or, or, or a way that we should be, uh, a way to follow Jesus, a commitment that we need to make. We have talked about some of those things so far in this series, and today we're going to review some of what we've talked about, some of those actions, but we want to now talk about an adjustment of our mental focus, of our perspective on, on the whole package, all right? How can we now go back into our homes or 
go to, into Sunday night or, or even into the Sunday morning service with a different heart, with a different focus. So, so today, I'm inviting you with me to do some of the hard work of self-assessment. I want to be really honest about this. I want to be really honest about this, and, and, and I want you to grow to be really honest about this as well. Am I tending to treat my entire church experience from a Western consumerist point of view? And as we've been looking at the, uh, the cycle of discipleship, that's what this whole series has been, that little cycle that we've been looked at. It begins with trust, then it moves uh, trust, belief, faith, all that kind of stuff, it moves to growth, uh, we, 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 we enter through trust, and then we, we develop. We want to grow. We want to learn. We want to we take it more. We want our faith to expand. Um, we've committed to spiritual growth. We're, we're working on, on discipleship, and we talked about that growth thing last week. And we're moving on from being someone who grows just for themselves. Today, we're going to move on to gives, someone who gives. This is a message that's all about giving, but it's not about finances, okay? So it's not a message to stop you from giving either, uh, whether you want to do that at the back or give online or text giving, however it is that you want to give, you can do that, but we're not talking today about finances. We want to talk about how you grow, and as you grow, that's good. Growing into someone who asks, how can I give back? So in the same context, the same relationships, how can I be someone who is there to serve these people? And the next time, we'll talk about going out, uh, going on. So trust, grow, give, go. Trust, grow, give, go. And then we do it all in the context of together. We, we want to do it all with the intent of growing into one. So that's, that's why we're doing these things. That's how it works together. That's how the whole package fits. So imagine in your head what kind of a team, what kind of a group, what kind of a troop, what kind of a battalion, what kind of a band, what kind of a symphony, what kind of some other musical collection would be functional if 20% of the members did 80% of the work. We, not, we, we not want to not only challenge this numerically, but we want to challenge these statistics internally, uh, spiritually. May they never describe our spiritual reality at into one. And when we talk about giving then, we're talking about getting closer to Christ-likeness. And as we grow past thinking about just ourselves personal growth, because you know what? That's important. It really is. And it's an ongoing part that needs to be important, but it's not everything and it's not the end. When we move on past just thinking about our own personal growth, when we start to think about how can I help other people grow, well, then you become a giver. And as a giver, you're becoming more like Christ. And you're actually growing in a way that you can never grow as long as you just focus on yourself. So the change that you want to experience is waiting on the other side of doing something that you may or may not want to do. You grow more when you learn how to give. You remove the focus from self, from egocentrism, and it becomes others-centered. It's, it's a new way of seeing. It's a new way of thinking. It's a new way of being. When we give, we tap into a part of who God is. And we are made 
in the image of God. So that means that we are also becoming more fully human as the human was really intended to be as we learn to give. We take this idea. Maybe you've heard this phrase before, kind of well-known. Maybe you've heard it. goes something like this. For God so loved the world that he gave. Giving is central to the heart of God. It's central to the gospel. It's central to our faith development. It's central to our connection to God. As a church, we are gathering together to help each other become more like Jesus. How did Jesus do this? What was he involved in? What was the process that he used? How did he help people become more like him? What was Jesus' discipleship method? Well, the one that we're really going to push on today again is purposeful proximity. You've got to be close enough. People have teachable moments or, or teachable seasons. They begin asking the right questions. They, they show that they are mentally, uh, socially, emotionally, spiritually ready. Ready to take new steps. And how will you know if you're not near? Who are you depending on to make sure that happens instead of you? When, when you look around the church and you say, I really hope that I grow, and I hope these people grow, when you look at those people, who is it that you're implying should be helping them? It's much more helpful if you have a name that you can put on them so that when you're saying, not my responsibility, it's clearly someone's responsibility. Name that person. How many people want to choose somebody else to be the one who's going to help? Well, I think most of us, right? That's just the way we kind of work. And if you're all sitting together and kind of thinking in your heads, wow, that's Graham's job, we're in real trouble. We're not going to hit what we could hit. We're not going to become what we could become. I'm not going to be who I could be if you don't take the time to help me. I can't possibly help each of you in the way that you need to be helped. We're going to have to learn how to do this together. We can't schedule those special moments. We can't schedule the time when the, when the door is open and we fully understand and we're ready for our next step. And so we refer to these kind of times as providential relationships. They're part of our five faith catalysts that we use to say, can't give you faith, but we can help to try and provide you opportunities for faith to grow. Providential relationships. And they often don't come when we expect them. And so they happen in dark times quite often. And we call those pivotal circumstances. When someone's on the edge, could go left, it could go right, could walk towards God or it could run away from God. Those are moments that you, that I can be there to help faith go where it needs to go. It would be much easier if you could always decide, Sunday morning, I'm fully mentally, emotionally, spiritually prepared so that when I come here, it'll all just sink in. I'll get the point. I'll get the, the focus, the Spirit will speak to me, and I'll leave transformed. It would be really convenient if you came ready for that. Did you? I mean, it's pretty hard to make sure that happens at this time. It would be much, much easier if that happened, but that's not the way that life works. So Hebrews, so we fly over to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 5. So if you've got your handouts, you can follow along there. Uh, there's going to be notes on the screen. And if you like to use more of an online kind of thing, you can use the free app called YouVersion. Go into events, 
uh, under more events, search into one, and all of our notes will be there. The announcements are there. There's a link for online giving there. You can follow along there. You can take the notes there as well. Find the way that makes the most sense for you, okay? Hebrews 5, starting at verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you no longer try to understand. Try to understand, Greek word, nothros. You've become lazy, you've become sluggish, you've become slothful. And this is one of those words that would lead us towards the, one of those infamous seven deadly sins, sloth. Sloth is not primarily about physical slothfulness. That's what we primarily think of. That's our first engagement. That's the way we think of it. Sloth means still. But what it really is about is about mental or spiritual slothfulness. It's too hard to think. Make it stop. No more words. No more talking. Can't we just be happy time again? It's so much to think about. All that stuff. Does any of it even really matter? You know what? It doesn't matter because I'm a good person. What difference does it make what I think? And you're just going through the motions. You just occasionally show up, but you're not engaging. You're not living this out as you should. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, the author here is implying that the learning that they were, that they were doing, he believes that the, the goal of learning is that you would actually grow into teaching. And it's not just for some people who would grow into that way. And it doesn't mean teaching necessarily at the front or preaching. But the idea of learning was so that you would develop, so that you would be able to lead others, to guide them as well. So that's what he's implying. The whole point of learning anything was, was so that you would grow, so that you could teach, so that you could give. So as you become a disciple, you are to grow into one who builds. You're to grow into one who creates. You're, you're supposed to grow so that you will be able to nurture other disciples so that we would grow and that we would help others to grow in their faith in Jesus. So you need someone to teach you. You need them to teach you the elementary stuff of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature. Now, maturity isn't about um, superior biblical knowledge. I just know the whole Bible. And maturity is not about, I've got a, a firmly ingrained, well-thought-out system of belief. It's not about, I'm passionate and devoted to my study of theology. Those things can all help. But maturity here is not about those things. It's about righteousness. It's about right living to make it even easier to get. To apply these teachings that I've received to my life, well, that takes maturity. And that's what I need to grow in. And there the word is uh, growing towards maturity. The word for maturity there is teleos. It means the end goal. So the point of the teaching is that you would get to the end goal, which is maturity. So these people who, by constant use, have trained this is where the passage keeps going here. And the word trained comes from the Greek word gymnazo. And you know what gymnazo means? Well, it's translated as to train 
naked as an athlete. Okay, so athletes of this day trained naked. The Olympics, the people who performed in the Olympics, who, who did the, they're all naked. That's the way they work so that nothing slows them down, so that nothing is in their way. Nothing is, uh, there's no way to cheat. There's no way to add. It's just you, but it's you unencumbered, nothing holding you back. And so the really, the word really meant not to train naked. It used to mean just naked, 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 naked. It's a fun word to say. It's especially fun when you're in church to get to say the word naked. But because it became so common that this is what it meant, it eventually just came to mean going to the gym. That's what the word meant. Going to the gym, working hard, training. And it's the word clearly that we get our word gymnasium from. So here he's saying you should gymnazo yourself. Your your goal should be um, to have maturity so that you can become a teacher of others, so that you are a giver and not just a taker. And that's going to take some giving. It's going to take some intentionality. It's going to take purpose and point. This is something you'll have to choose. And it goes on. It says, they have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And if you stop and think about that, that's an extremely worthwhile skill to be trained in. That you might know the truth and the truth might set you free. That you are able to discern good from evil and then choose the good and help others to choose it also. We follow down in Hebrews a little bit farther. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 24. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. We live our lives surrounded by the equipping, by the encouraging of the body of Christ, and then we commit to doing that, to train one another, to care for one another. So he starts with, let's consider and what he's saying there is, let's think about, uh, let's brainstorm, let's, let's put our heads together, let's spend some time dreaming about how to encourage one another. Let's plan to do it. Let's not hope it happens accidentally. Let's do it on purpose. What way would work best? How can I try something that I've never done before? How can we help each other to live more like Jesus? What could I do that would do that? Put your mind into thinking in that way. We're not looking at Intuon. We're not looking to order a program. We're not, we're not going to buy a DVD lesson. We don't have a great book you should read or, or any other standard information gathering technique. We are looking at you. We're looking at each other to discover new ways, effective ways, old ways, good ways to grow into being more like Jesus. So he says, don't get into the habit of uh, giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching all right so this is the frame that we are to work together spend some time thinking about how can we do that imagine dream encourage be about this together oneness so we'll look at another more specific kind of place we're going to jump to uh to second timothy and here we have paul and he's writing another letter, and he's writing it to his apprentice named Timothy. Timothy's a guy who's been trained up. And as the, the passage starts, Paul's remembering some of Timothy's life, some of what's gone on before. And he's saying, ah, Timothy, I remember your story. Um, you grew up in a loving home, a good home, good place to be. And, and you were exposed and trained to the scriptures from a young age. And not everyone received that as a kid. And 
That's the same here too, right? Not each of us was exposed to the scriptures in the same way. We didn't necessarily all come from a good upbringing. We didn't necessarily come from a positive church background. But some people have it, and that's fantastic. So we understand that not everyone comes on the same footing. But that's really good for Timothy. And because of that, it has helped Timothy to learn and to be familiar with the scriptures. But knowing the scriptures is not enough. When I grew up, we love we loved to have sword drills. Can you find it in the Bible fast? Who can finish the verse? Where did this story come from? Who knows how the story goes? And you go, great, I've got Bible knowledge. Bible knowledge becomes an idol to distract us from what we're really supposed to be doing, right? Faith development, instead of faith development, what I've got is knowledge regurgitation. And sometimes the people who know the most Bible have got the least application inside their heart, and they're mean. And they're mean-spirited, and they're cold. They're not transformed by the Word of God. They just know it. And they can quote a scripture that tells you why you're wrong and why you're bad. And they, they can do it in a way that makes you feel terrible, that makes you feel like you're never going to measure up, that you should be full of shame. And their knowledge of the Bible hasn't brought them to a knowledge and experience of Jesus because our goal is not to know the Bible. Our goal is to know the Bible so that we will see it point to Jesus, so that we'll know Jesus, so that we'll be more like Jesus. That's the goal. That's where we're going. Knowing the scriptures is not enough. They need to be used to accomplish something. Famous passage here, okay? All scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Stop there for a second. Those goals are not your goal for the guy sitting beside you. It is not your goal to take the Bible so that you would be able to rebuke, teach, correct, and train other people in righteousness, especially from a distance. You know what you're doing wrong? Well, I'll tell you. The Bible says that's not the function of Scripture. So that the servant of God would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what's the end point of Bible study? Why do we study the Bible? So that the servant of God might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So that you can go out and live it. And live it all. Live the whole thing in front of somebody else. It's for life change. It's to no longer be to be conformed to the likeness of this world. It's to live, to think, to behave, to engage, to love, to share, to work, to date, to play, to speak as one being made more and more into the image of Christ. To be like Jesus, everyone, everywhere, all the time. But how are we going to do that? Well, he says the scriptures are really useful for these things. All scripture is useful for, not just to be thought about or learned, but to be applied, used, implemented, engaged for a purpose. This is not just about a personal relationship that you have with the Bible in these ways. So I said earlier, it's not just so that you could fling it to someone who's far away. But it's also not the Western kind of view that I have a relationship with my Bible. I speak to it and it speaks to me and we go back and forth just by ourselves. It also applies beyond that. So scripture is useful for us, us to do these things, to together teach, to together 
rebuke, to together be about correcting, together to be about training, never for the purposes of condemnation, but for the purposes of repentance and freedom. That's the direction that we're going. So when someone loves you enough to rebuke you, they should rebuke you in love, not from a distance, up close. Hey, have you thought about this? I I want to take you to a, a place that you can see. I need to correct the way that you're thinking about this so that we can train together with the spirit of love. It speaks to us. Our goal is to be us together, learn the scriptures together. And 21st century faith always looks at the Bible as speaking to me. What did it say to me? It's my personal faith. And yes, that's true. However, the first century thoughts would be all about us. When they gathered together, it was always us because hardly anyone would have had their own copy of anything. They wouldn't have 13 different versions sitting on their shelf at home. Some of these people couldn't even read because there was no need to read because there was so little to read and it was so expensive to get the things that you could read. And their relationship to Scripture was only ever experienced or understood as a shared pursuit. Together, a communal activity, a way in which we would be drawn together. The point was that it would bring us into one. Not to focus on a book, but to focus together on who the book points to. So Timothy, if you're a pastor, you are crafting a community of discipleship. So the scriptures are useful, and they should be at the center of a community gathered to focus on Jesus. And together we should learn And together we should engage, and together we could share, and together we should apply, together we should live in earnest pursuit of Jesus, understanding and applying scripture with one another. So as you give yourself to helping someone else grow, you yourself will also grow. As you give into that relationship, you are being given to as well, and you will develop maturity which is the end goal. The new question to play around with in your head, consider how might you be a blessing to someone else wherever you go? At church, at work, at school, at home, wherever you go, how can I be a blessing? I've been trying for, I don't know, five months, I think, to have a new spiritual discipline. Every once in a while, I try to add something new because I can't add 10 things at once. I'll just never do it. But I've been trying to do, um, we've talked about these as well, the uh, words to live by, uh, morning declarations. But I've been trying to set aside as a discipline every day to consciously, intentionally, on purpose, say something encouraging to someone else and to do something kind. And I'll tell you, that the kind is the one that's more awkward for me, I don't default to being a kind person. I wish that I was, but there's all kinds of times that I think I just don't behave that way. I'm selfish, and I I didn't see it. I'm not observant in the right way. So consciously being intentional about saying I have to do this has helped me to do it, but more than that, it's helped me to anticipate the opportunity that I could do it in. So I could check my box, but so that I could track myself. And what I find is that now, instead of doing it once, I can do it twice. 
or three times simply because I was trying to remember to do it once. And it happened. And I like it. I like when I do it. It's more of the me that I want to be, but it's more of the me that's hard to be. I needed something to help me. So I've been trying to do that. And you can try it too. And maybe your goal will be to give something. Maybe that's more your, your love language. That I need to give something to people to mark them in a special way. A gift, a card, something like that. Or maybe I, I know that I, I need to help people. When I have my eyes open, I will see that someone needs help and I can do that. And I will go in and I will consciously in my mind say, this is for you, Jesus. I'm going to serve these people an act of devotion to you. I will help. Maybe, maybe your thing is to spend time. I can go and be with that person that's kind of lonely, that doesn't have somebody else with them, that needs somebody. I can do that. I can take my time and I can give it to them. Maybe, maybe you're just, you have a, a, an aura about you that wherever you go, you carry the gift of an embrace. And when your embrace means something more than just a hug or a handshake, your physical contact is just able to convey more. And you can use that. You can do that intentionally to bring about kindness. What could you do this week to let the light of the knowledge of the glory of God shine in you and through you to someone who was within your proximity? Maybe your goal could be to just not perpetuate the hate that you have for someone. Maybe that person that leaps into your mind and you've always got something negative to say about them because it's true, maybe that's the person you could focus on and just say, this week, I will choose not to say those things, whether they're true or not. I will just choose the person that I hate the most to not speak poorly of. Maybe I could even think of that person that I hate and try to say something nice about them. Something that's true. Don't make stuff up. Maybe I could even go so far as to say to that person something kind, something encouraging. Maybe that would be one of the first steps of what it means to love your enemy. And instead of having to solve the whole package at once and run up to your enemy with a great embrace and say, I love you so much. That's not going to work, just so you know. Maybe you can take a step. And in your heart, for that moment, for that window, that one little tiny block of time, maybe in that window you could love your enemy. Maybe you can't sustain it for, for a whole day, but in that moment you've done something that you maybe have never done before. You consciously, intentionally loved your enemy. And see what that does to your heart. See what that does to your faith. See what that does to your relationship with Jesus. See what that does to your attitude. Maybe you'll be able to identify yourself as the hands and feet of Jesus. Together we are the body of Christ, but when we separate, we each individually become the display of Jesus. Who needs to see Jesus coming from you? Who can you give to this week? 
And maybe that pursuit, maybe that intention, maybe that choice could draw you more fully into an attitude of thanks today and tomorrow as we're trying to be thankful. Instead of just your surface, what if there could be something that comes deep from within you that expresses thanks? Thanks to God. Thanks for what God has done. And you watch and see how he transforms your heart to living your life. And you'll start to see it's in moments that you live. One moment I made a choice. And that is a check mark. That is an accomplishment, an achievement. Even if it's the only time in the day that you do it, it's still been done. How many do you think you could get in one day? How many chances or choices do you think you could make in one day to live in such a way that you would be transformed by the knowledge of God working in and through you? What you have learned will now be applied. I will be kind. I will love my enemy. I will make a difference because of me serving Christ today. The world will be different. Kind Father, thank you. Thank you for the way that you move in us and through us. Thank you for your patience, your patience with me to stumble through one little bit at a time. Thank you for the way that you are patient with us as a group of people. But don't stop working in us, please. Continue to transform our hearts. Help us to take any step, no matter how small, in the right direction. Help us to fall into a habit of trying to say, God, today, help me to see as you see so that I could do as you say. Today, as I go forward, speak to me so that later on you might speak through me. God, transform this place that we live into a more clear representation of the kingdom of God. Use us in partnership please. Amen. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Be blessed in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You may be seated. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you will be able to give thanks well. And when you have people to gather around you today, may you be able to say with truth in your heart, it's better when you're here. It's better when we're together. As you go, I'm sending you out. And I'll remind you as you go that we are Christ-centered, we are spirit-empowered, and that we are mission-focused. And that mission that we are on is for everyone everywhere, all the time. Hope to see you again next week when we're going to finish off the Fellowship of the King.